but my name is Caitlin, and I serve here as Groups Director at Infuse, and I am here today to speak on our message series called The Games People Play, and it's all about why integrity matters. So this is a series we've had two weeks now between Pastor Taylor, Pastor Mike, and we're going to have me this week and next week talking on integrity some more. Um, so if you missed any of those, you can find them on our app, on our Facebook page, on our website. Um, and Pastor Mike and Pastor Taylor have done a good job of outlining for us what integrity looks like, what is the definition of integrity, um, the biblical definition of integrity, um, and what that looks like within our lives. But this morning, I wanted to touch on what integrity means to you. Because each person in this room probably has some different level of integrity that you're holding yourself to between you and your neighbor you're sitting next to, someone in your family, your coworkers, right? I'm sure you can sense that difference in your lives. So we're going to try to figure out what does personal integrity mean to you? So you have your um, programs you got when you came in today. There's a, a section to write on the back with your pens that you also got too. Um, that's another part of our swag, our infused pens when you come in, right? Um, who doesn't love a good pen? Also, if you don't have one, your phone has like a notes app. You can type this out. And so for those of you watching online, pen and paper, your phone, because I want you to answer this next question to help you determine what your personal integrity looks like. And that question is, who do you want to be like? Who is in your top three? So you're going to name the top three people that you want to be like. So think on this. You're literally going to write them down, hopefully, or at least come up with them in your head. Because when you see those three names, when you're thinking about who those people are, you're trying to come up with what qualities you like about them, right? What qualities within them um, help you to aspire to be more like them? And that's probably what integrity looks like to you. It's a good measure of that. So to have a little fun this morning, because who doesn't like a good time when you come to church, right? Especially at Infuse. Um, I think last time I was up here, we played a game too, but this time there's not as many prizes, so sorry folks in the crowd that were here for that. Um, but I'm going to list off two people, okay? These are all fictional characters, because we don't want to get too personal here with like jabs and things like that, but two fictional characters, and you're going to shout out your answer to who you would want to be more like between the two of them, okay? Now, it's fairly easy, I promise, and I'm not going to leave you hanging, so don't shout until I get to three. I'm going to say one, two, three, then we all shout together, okay? <laughs> Nobody wants to be that person that's just like shouting off by themselves. This is embarrassing. Um, also, online, you're going to comment in the chat box um, your answers as well, so everyone can see, okay? So we're going to decide who we'd rather be like our first pair, again, these are, should be fairly easy, so you shouldn't need a lot of time to think about them. We've got Pumbaa. This is from Lion King, okay? Pumbaa from Lion King. I believe he's like the warthog-looking one. Um, and Scar, which is the lion, the uncle lion. I feel like I'm probably going to say something wrong on these movie references, but you know what he looks like, right? Um, kind of evil a little bit. I think he's the one that pushes someone off the cliff. I don't know. But um, between Pumbaa and Scar... I want you to tell me who you would rather be like. You're going to shout out your answers. Type them online. Three, two, one. Okay, no one said scar. Shocker, right? Okay, maybe online. You guys can check it out there. Um, here's our next one. Okay, now superhero fans in the crowd. I'm sure we've got a few, right? 
Um, I have two. These are very basic because my superhero knowledge doesn't go as deep as a lot of you. Um, maybe your favorite genre was comic book this morning. Who knows? So we have Batman and Joker. Okay? Batman, the superhero, wears all black, little yellow logo, and Joker, which depending on the version of the Joker, typically a little frightening to look at, right? So between those two, you're going to shout out, who would you rather be like? Three, two, one. Okay, lacked a little enthusiasm there. We'll try again on the next one. But Batman, yeah, most of you said Batman. I didn't hear any jokers anyway. Maybe some of you thought it. Um, this next one, okay? Those are just warm-ups because this next one is going to be a little more of a challenge. Um, I've been home with a sick toddler all week. So we've watched um, The Grinch, even though it's July, like five times. So the Jim Carrey version, by the way. And in The Grinch, we have The Grinch, and we have the mayor of Whoville. So in the movie version, the mayor of Whoville, controversially, could be a good guy or a bad guy, right? Same for the Grinch. This is the question I had to answer for my toddler all week. Is the Grinch a good guy or a bad guy? Right? That's a hard one. It's like some deep questions with a toddler. So you're going to answer this one. Who would you rather be like, the mayor of Whoville or the Grinch? Okay, this could be mixed. Three, two, one. Okay, possibly some, some disruption there, but mostly Grinch, which is interesting, right? Um, now, these next ones that I'm going to say, this is very important, everyone watching online too, you're not going to shout out the answer, okay? You're only, this is rhetorical, internally reflect on this, but do not shout out the answers, okay? Um, no elbow bumping to the people you came with, no nudging either, but these are more personal reflection type of questions. So if someone asked you, who would you want to be like more? Which one of your parents would you rather be like? Yeah. Which one of your siblings would you rather be like? Which one of your relatives would you rather be like? Which one of your coworkers would you rather be like? Yeah. Like it's a little deeper, right? Now the point of all this is that I think when you're asked these questions um, in the matchups that I gave you, but more so in those personal reflection ones, you're probably thinking a little bit more about the negative things of the people you don't want to be like. All right? You, you're thinking about the qualities you aspire to, but you're also, when you're given that comparison, you're probably also thinking like, well, my brother, <laughs> well, he's made some decisions in his life that maybe I wouldn't want to be like him. Right? I'm not speaking about my brother, too, in case he's watching, but that was more <laughs> rhetorical. Um, but there could be people in your lives where you're focusing more on the negatives, right? When we're talking about Batman and Joker, you're more so thinking, I just really don't want to be like Joker. And that is because although our integrity is personal to us, and though we have our personal measures of integrity, it's not private. It's not private integrity because the decisions that you make impact everyone around you. It impacts your family, it impacts your friends, your coworkers, and probably a larger circle than you even realize. And that's because our irresponsibility often becomes, always becomes, someone else's responsibility. A good example of this that maybe you've experienced in your life, right? Um, if you're lying about where you are, where you've been, what you've done, probably going to impact your relationship 
right, with those around you, um, whether that's a partner, um, a loved one, someone in your family, your coworkers even. If you kind of just forget to put gas in the car because you just don't really want to stop and put gas in the car of like maybe your partner, I don't know, I'm just throwing that one out there. Um, that could impact them too. You made a decision that impacts your relationship, but also your family's needs, your family's ability to get around if there's no gas in the car. Maybe it's your coworker. So you decide that for one reason, reason or another, um, you're late to work, right? Maybe things are in your control, maybe not. Um, or maybe you decide to skip a shift because of things that were maybe within your control, but you just chose to do them anyway, or you just don't care, right? And that irresponsibility becomes someone else's responsibility. Someone's going to pick up your slack at your job, right? And maybe you've been that person picking up the slack for someone else. The games that people play, they don't just impact the people playing the game. It's everyone around them. Our integrity or our lack of integrity impacts those around us most. We see this a lot in families, right? Um, because they're the people you're closest to. So sometimes you can be like your truest form of yourself or sometimes you just make mistakes. We all do, we're all imperfect. Um, but generationally, how those decisions can impact generations to come. In the first week, Pastor Taylor talked about structural integrity, um, that definition of like a building structure and keeping its integrity intact. And, I compare that to the decisions generationally can tear down that structural integrity just as much as trying to build them back up with our decisions of integrity. Could look like um, verbal abuse passed down from generation to generation, struggles with lying or stealing. We often call it making some poor choices. But it could be even simpler things like how we're handling conflict in our life. Um, some of us may be more avoidant to conflict, which can cause problems, or more argumentative in conflict, or more aggressive, and that can also cause some problems, right? And oftentimes, it's because we've seen these behaviors, these things modeled generation after generation. And it starts to impact those around us. I think that many of us in this room have probably been on the end of this um, being burned by someone's lack of integrity, right? We're not going to do a show of hands, but I think if we did, most of us could say that we've had to pick up someone else's slack. We've been hurt by someone else's lack of integrity or their choices. And the flip side of that, I think if we were being honest with ourselves, that we could also find that we've been the ones making those irresponsible choices, right? It can go both ways. Because for just as many of us in this room that find ourselves in someone's top three list, probably we're also on someone else's other list that I'm not gonna say here, right? And that's just how it works. But how do we, how do we in this room, those of us watching online, how do we get into someone's top three? How do we make that list? And we do that because we want to be that parent that maybe we wished we had. We want to be that boss that we wish we had. We want to be better. Most of us are always striving to be better in some way or another. We at least want that deep down. But how do we do that? We look to examples in our lives, 
right? That's why when I told you to list off these top three people, you're looking to examples in your life. You also are probably going to look, if you are a follower of Jesus, to biblical examples. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at a biblical example of integrity. This person was blameless. No one could find fault in him, right? And this is the part where you guys all think I'm going to say, who do we want to be like? Jesus. Oh, yeah, it was a quiet Jesus, but it was there. Yeah, because 99% of the time in church, Jesus is the answer to, like, the questions. I feel like that's, like, a kid's ministry joke, but really, though, right? We're always like, Jesus is the answer, and he is, but today we're going to focus on a different character. We're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to go to the Old Testament of the Bible, and in the Old Testament, this is before Jesus was a thing, before he was on earth as our example. So we have a different example to look at. And this example, um, he was amidst a world of chaos, probably not much unlike our world today, right? In the Old Testament, there was a lot of choices that people made that impacted others. Some really like bad stuff, like we had adultery and murder. Someone murdered their brother in the Old Testament of the Bible too. So I mean, there's a lot going on there, okay? But this man stood out from them, and this was Daniel. And Daniel, um, if you've been in a church culture before, you might be familiar with that name because of Daniel and his story involving some lions, right? But that's not the story that we're going to talk about today. We'll get there. But I want to talk about who Daniel is. Where did he come from? Where does the story start? So we're going to be in the book of the Bible, aptly named Daniel. should be kind of easy to find. It's his first name towards the front of the Bible, front half anyway. Um, but we're going to talk about his story, who, what made him this person of integrity that we're looking for. And the story begins um, when a new king came into reign. Um, this king had a funny name, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar. I feel like it could go 50-50 either way here. That's the problem with a lot of the names in the Bible. But King Nebuchadnezzar, and he came into power in Babylon, okay? So he decided that he was going to um, capture some Israelite men. Daniel just so happened to be in that group of Israelites. The Israelites were a group of people that throughout the Old Testament, God had been working in and working through and trying to protect and to bring about as an example of his love of him in this world of chaos, right? And Daniel was within that group. And this king in Babylon, he said, I need some of these young men to come to my palace. I need them to come train, to be my servants um, for one reason or another. He probably saw them as an example, honestly, um, and he felt like he needed them. So he sent out for these young Israelite men. And Daniel, unluckily or luckily, was one of them that got captured, right? Um, but there was a list of requirements to be part of this. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar set out and Daniel... Chapter 1, we find in verse 3 through 4 that um, he ordered his chief officials to bring into his service some Israelite men, but he had some requirements. They had to be young. They had to be without any physical deficit, defect. They had to be handsome. They had to show aptitude for every kind of learning. The list continues on. That they had to be well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. All of those things, right? That's kind of a lengthy list. I think some of us are probably like, I wish my partner fit that list sometimes, right? All those things. But quick to learn all the things. But Daniel fit that list. He checked all those boxes. And so 
They just kidnapped him right up. They captured him, and he was taken into service of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this story, Daniel, he was a man of God, right? And he had some beliefs. He had some integrity from the get-go, and we'll get to that as well, but keep that in mind. And also, I want you to keep in mind that this isn't your ordinary kidnapping. Not that any kidnapping should be ordinary, but this one is not it, right? When he is captured, there is some perks, too, believe it or not, because when he's captured, the king says that these people will be assigned a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Daily food and wine from the king's food, the best of the best. And this is a really big deal to Daniel and the others that were captured with him, those other Israelite men, because we live in an age of like fast food, buffets, right? Um, we have meal plans in college. We have cafeterias that feed our children in schools. Food, although for some is a scarcity and that is a problem, for most of us, especially in the United States, um, that isn't as big of a problem, right, in our daily lives. We don't see that as such a need. But to Daniel, it was. And to Daniel's family, it was. They were living off of the land. Um, Famine, starvation, those were real things for them. And also, having a roof over their head, because it goes on to say that not only are they going to get the unlimited food and wine daily, but they're also going to be trained for three years and then enter the king's service. They're going to live in the king's palace. They would have a sturdy roof over their heads, too. So this is like an all-inclusive resort kind of situation that we've got going on for Daniel and his friends, right? It's looking pretty good in that sense. It's maybe an opportunity that Daniel's parents were really hoping that he would not mess up. As parents, maybe you felt that way about your kids. Just don't mess this up. This is a good opportunity for you. So Daniel set out with his friends, right? And they go into the king's service. And one of the first things that happens to them is they change their names. This is where I think things start to get a little hairy. Um, In verse 6, he says, Among those who were chosen, Daniel is one of them, along with some of his other friends. Again, names that are more hard to pronounce, but that's just the way the Bible is sometimes, right? And the chief official gave them new names, and to Daniel, he gave him this new name, right here, which I didn't Google voice yet to figure out how to say, but, you know, follow along, Belteshar. <laughs> oh, but, and the others got new names too. I think it goes on. Some familiar too, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Those are more familiar from the Bible, um, Bible stories in Sunday school, but they changed their names. And this is kind of a big deal. I think for Daniel, this is where like his red flags are going up, like, so sure about this. This looked like a good opportunity, but now you're changing my name, my identity, right? And changing your name really shows ownership. We do this still currently, actually. Maybe some of you in this room have done this, because when we adopt a pet, what do we do? We change their names. Not every time, but sometimes. And we do it because they're ours. They're our little puppy, and we want to rename them, because they're ours now. And that's what the king was doing to Daniel and his companions here, right? And the red flag in this situation is probably that Daniel, being a man of God, of having that integrity instilled in his life, he knew that his ownership wasn't really with the king, 
but it was with God. So he's starting to get that feeling that many of us in this room have probably also gotten, at least for me personally, when something doesn't feel right, where we might be about to be asked to do something that we don't believe in or we don't feel is right, we get that little nagging in our stomach, get a little sweaty in our palms, our heart starts to race a little bit. And that's the thing about integrity, the divineness of it, is that we don't really need someone to tell us what's right or wrong. Sometimes we just know. And I think Daniel, I think he just knew, right? He knew from this point that there were about to be some things that he might not be comfortable with. And I think it was at this point that Daniel already had made up his mind. He already knew that despite what happened, he was going to hang on to doing what's right and what he believed in. And verse 8 tells us that. It literally says that Daniel resolved. He made up his mind ahead of time that he was not going to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He already decided that he wasn't going to take the food and wine because to him, and to give us some context, the reason that this was a big deal to Daniel too, um, is because in the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites some rules to follow. And for us today, those rules may seem kind of silly, right? If you're it's all about context when you're reading the Bible. And if you need more help with context, Pastor Taylor just did a whole series on how to read the Bible for adults. It was very helpful in this area especially. But the context here is that God had told the Israelites not to eat certain things. And those rules weren't just silly rules for no reason. It had purpose within the context, right? There was no FDA telling them like what to eat or what not to eat, what's safe, what's not, what's been recalled, right, like we do now. Because for Daniel's time, God had to tell them what not to eat to keep them from harm sometimes, from things that would harm them. He also did this to set them apart, to make an example out of them. So there are many different reasons, but despite those reasons, Daniel believed that to honor his God, to do what he believed what was right, that he wasn't going to accept the food and the drink from the king's table. Now, the verse goes on, I know you can see that here, but... Uh, Daniel does something here that really sets him apart. Because although some of us in this room would probably like have enough guts to make the right decision, I don't think if I was Daniel that I would sit at that table um, and do what he's about to do. I think I would quietly hope no one noticed me and that I could just sit there with my food, do the little trick of like chew a few bites, spit it in the napkin, slide it in your lap, right? Um, feed it to the dog under the table, just hope no one noticed, right? Because I know that I shouldn't do that thing, but I don't need to shout it out. Like, I could get away with just trying to not be noticed, right? But not for Daniel, because Daniel goes on, and he asks the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel walks up to the guy in the room and says, hey, I'm not going to do this thing that you want me to do because of these reasons. And what do you think the chief official had to say to him? <laughs> Probably not something very nice. It does go on to tell us a little more in the story. The official does say, and you can read this for yourselves and follow along. I'm going to sum it up for us here, but that he did tell uh, the official, and the official said, um, you know, not really an option because um, my head, literally my head as the chief official, is on the line. It wasn't a figure of speech then, and it says that in the text. Um, 
he would be killed if he didn't do what the king asked him to do. And he needed to feed these men. They needed to be strong and ready for the king's service. So he's like, yeah, no, you just need to eat it. Well, Dan, I feel like that's like us with kids. Like, well, no, just need to eat the food. We need you to be strong and healthy, right? Um, but Daniel, with God on his side, he does a little negotiation with the chief official. And he says, well, how about this? How about for 10 days... We just drink water and we eat vegetables. And then after those 10 days, you can come back, you can see us, you can compare us to everyone else. And after those 10 days, you can do what you and the king see fit. Yeah, what you see fit. I don't know, that could be getting a boot out of the castle, out of the king's palace, um, or being killed, right? For him and his friends that Daniel's speaking up for. I feel like uh, Daniel is the kid in class, maybe you experienced this, where you have a substitute teacher and you're trying really hard to get away with it because they are doing lesson plans from like two days ago. So you already know all the stuff and they're giving you assignments you've already done. So it's fine. Like you can just lean back and relax. And then there's that kid that raises their hand, right? And they're like, oh, wait, um, actually... Because Daniel and the kid in that scenario, right, they're going to do what's right despite the price. Daniel was willing to speak up even if it meant that he could get kicked out of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, even if it meant being killed. Well, and it turns out that Daniel's idea of eating vegetables and water wasn't such a bad one. Um, I feel like he was like the original vegan or like vegetarian. He's like the Daniel diet or something that we could do now. But it worked out for him because after those 10 days, he stood in front of um, the king. And the king kind of is interviewing them at this point in the chapter, um, comparing them to everybody else, right? And within those 10 days, one of the crazy things that happened Um, was that God actually blessed Daniel with some wisdom and some gifts, um, probably because he wasn't so focused on the food, right? That he was nourishing his body with what God wanted him to, and God blessed him for that. So it's an important 10 days. They get in front of the king, okay? They're standing there. I imagine it kind of like maybe like The Bachelor, where they're all like standing up there and like the one person (laughs) is in front. (laughs) But... Oh, so imagine that kind of scenario. The king's up there. They're all just waiting, just hanging out. He's asking them some questions, getting a feel for them. And the verse says that the king found that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Seems like this is working out for Daniel and his friends, right? Ten times better. And not only that, but it goes on to tell us that Daniel remained there in the king's palace and the king's service until the first year of King Cyrus, which is a long time. I didn't know this until I was preparing for this message today. But if you look at like the years between kings historically, right? Um, for some of you history buffs, maybe you know more about this. But um, when you look at those years, you can kind of gauge like how old Daniel was um, at this point in the year of King Cyrus. And that's when his story really comes to a peak, right? With the lions and stuff. So at that point, Daniel was probably like 70 plus years old. 
Is that a shocker for you guys? Because I feel like that shocked me, right? I feel like Sunday school lied to me because that was not the image that I got as a kid. I don't know if that's the only thing Sunday school might have lied to some of us about, but it's one of them. That picture of Daniel, he wasn't a 70-year-old old man, right? But it worked out for Daniel in the end, even though he did what's right despite the price. So you may look at this and say, well, Um, He wasn't killed. He didn't get the boot. Good for Daniel. Everything worked out. Wish that would happen in my life, right? But I think there was a cost for Daniel. There probably was some kind of price that he paid. Whether that was being, I would guess, an unpopular guy among the rest of them. I don't know what that looked like at that time, but probably not super pleasant. Um, I think there was a cost. And that's the same for us, because when we decide to do what's right despite the price, there's a cost for us. There will be. That's just the honest truth. I'm not going to lie to you today. There will be a cost. For some of you, it may cost you a relationship, someone in your life. It may mean that it costs you your job, a vacation. It may cost you financially. When you choose to rise above and to make that decision, it's it's going to cost. You're going to miss out on something. But the thing is that that thing that you're missing out on, it's not going to be the thing that at the end of your life, when you're 70 plus years old, that you're going to say, I wish I could go back and have that vacation. I wish I could go back and go to that party that I missed out on because I made the right choice. That's not going to be the thing that matters in the end. Because when we make these decisions of integrity, when we make up our mind ahead of time, just like Daniel did, we're setting the stage, we're opening the doors for some big defining moments to happen. And that's what matters. We haven't even gotten to the height of Daniel's story yet, right? And we're already seeing what set him apart Um, for the big climax of his story that we'll get to next week. But the kicker is he didn't know how this was all going to go, right? He didn't know how the decision he made was going to impact those around him, and it did. It did impact those around him. Because that decision that he made actually led to King Nebuchadnezzar going from a king that wanted everyone to worship him as a god to being a king who worshiped the same God as Daniel, as our God. Because Daniel made up his mind ahead of time. He decided to do what's right despite the price. And it made a difference, not just for Daniel. He didn't just get the blessings of this outcome and his friends, right? But other people in his life were impacted as well. And that's the beautiful thing about integrity right? It doesn't, isn't just limited to those of us in this room that have chosen to follow Jesus. It's a concept that can apply to everyone. Because in one way or another, we do want to be better, right? We want to live this life in integrity, if not for ourselves, for those around us, those we love. And those decisions, like I said, they are setting the stage. They are opening the doors for big things. Now, the difference here is that if you do have the power of God on your side, if God is in your heart, if you've made that decision in your life, you could be opening the door for God to do some really big things for you. 
And I'm not saying that like this is like happy endings all the time kind of big things, but big things nonetheless. Things that are going to impact you and everyone around you. How can God use that moment when you make that decision despite what it costs you? How can he use that moment in your life? And if you don't make that choice, you're never going to find out. Think of it this way. How would life have looked different for you if your parents would have made some different decisions? How would life look for you if your mentors, your role models, would have made some different decisions? Right? How would these things in your life, whether they were like for the pro or the con, right? How would those different decisions have impacted you? Would it change the way that your relationship looks right now? Would it change your ability to trust others, the way you communicate with others? Would it change your career path? For some of you in this room, would it change the fact that you're here today? Probably, right? Because those decisions matter. They're big and they impact everyone around us. So how can life be different for you and those around you starting right now? starting today. There's a couple different ways this could look. Maybe it's a big decision in your life, like where you're putting your faith. Maybe for you, it's clarifying um, how what you believe aligns with the way that you're living your life. Making up your mind ahead of time. You can't do that if your mind isn't made up, right? So deciding what is it that I believe in And some good next steps for these things, whether it's figuring out your faith, exploring, which we are all about here at Infuse, exploring your faith. We want to partner alongside you with that and help you to align your beliefs with your life. So there's a few ways you can do that, even just starting today. We have faith growth guides on the welcome table. Help yourself to those. If it's your first time, or even if you've been coming for a while and never filled out a connection card, fill out that connection card in your program or online and let us know. Let us know you want to chat. Let us know you want us to help you with some questions, right? Or just navigate some things with you. We'd love to do that and partner with you. Maybe it's getting connected this fall as we launch our small groups for the year where you can ask those challenging questions, where you can be held accountable for your decisions. Maybe it's serving here at Infuse. Our serving teams are like their own little small group. You know, you're setting up in the morning with someone or you're serving on production with someone. You get to have some of those conversations, You get to challenge each other sometimes. And that can be a good place to be. So maybe that's a decision that's going to impact you and the others around you today. But maybe it's also a decision that's been nagging on you for a while. Something that you felt in your stomach and your sweaty palms. That decision that you haven't quite been able to make yet because you're a little afraid to do what's right despite the price. And maybe it just looks like making that choice. Making that choice that deep down you know you need to make. And it's possible that the choices you make today are going to impact you and those around you for many years to come. So as we leave today, I just want you to remember, who do you want to be like, right? But also, who wants to be like you? How are the decisions you're making impacting those around you? Who wants to be like you? Bow your heads and pray with me as you feel comfortable this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity 
that this day has presented itself. No matter where we woke up this morning, how we woke up this morning, how we got here, how we are watching online, the decisions that we've made even up to this point, despite all of those things, God, thank you for this opportunity. Because starting today, we know that we can make the right choice regardless of what it costs us. Because despite those costs, that you will still be there, that your love will still be in our life. I can't wait to see the things that you have planned for those in this room, those watching online today, when those decisions that they make impact those around them. I can't wait to see the ripple effect that that has in this community, in this world. We just thank you, Lord, for being on our side through all of this. And I pray for those today that may be figuring it out with you, and that's okay. Help us as a church, as a people, to partner alongside them in this process. And thank you again for this opportunity that today has for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.